We're going to go ahead and get started with Sunday School pretty quick, if you want to find your seats. I've got a handout, if I can get some help to hand it out. Um, do you mind helping on this side, just helping hand them out? All right, welcome back to our adult class. Sadly, this is our last lesson on the Ten Commandments. We're talking about the Tenth Commandment today. Um, the next two weeks, uh, Dan will be teaching on, I will actually be at Calvary uh, Presbyterian the next two weeks, preaching their pastors on sabbatical. So he's got a bunch of guys preaching, so I'll be preaching there the next two weeks and will not be here. So Dan will be teaching on, um, there was a panel of uh, significant voices in our denomination at the General Assembly a couple weeks ago um, who, who talked about what are their hopes for the church um, and especially in our denomination going forward. And there were some really uh, helpful uh, reflections that they gave. And so Dan is going to kind of sh share some of that over the next two weeks and, and lead some discussion on that. And then after that, we're going to start a series called Our Worshiping World, looking at the major religions and cults um, in our world, you know, Islam, the Eastern religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, and just kind of learning about them, learning more about them and how to engage with them as believers. Uh, so I'm really excited about that. That'll start in three weeks. Um, let's pray and dive into the Tenth Commandment. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this chance to continue uh, sitting under your word. As Dan just beautifully showed us uh, from today's passage in 2 Kings, just how important it is to be, as your people, um, continually um, engaging in your word as your, uh, one of your primary ways that you are present in the world and in our lives. And so, what a firm foundation we have in your word. Uh, what more can you say than to, than to us you have said in your word? And so we pray that you would uh, uh, clear our minds and engage our hearts as we um, wrestle with the Tenth Commandment, which has many things to encourage us and challenge us with. So pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I heard a summary this week of the Ten Commandments that I thought was intriguing. Um, if you remember, maybe you've heard that in Jewish tr tradition, they often called the Ten Commandments the Ten Words. In fact, one of the books we're using in this series uh, by Jen Wilkin, it's called Ten Words to Live By. Uh, it's one of the ways they would just, a shorthand for the Ten Commandments. So, you know, if you think about it, if you had an audience with God and you were able to ask him, you know, one thing or, or ask him anything, and maybe we ask them, God, how, how is life supposed to live? What is the way to the good life? And I can imagine God 
replying and saying, I can tell you the way life is intended to be lived in 10 words. And that is the Ten Commandments. Uh, it's just it's a helpful way to just get at um, how beautiful the Ten Commandments are that I hope we've seen throughout this series. They're an expression of God's heart, an expression of his kindness. If you think about it, this is why they were kept in the, the Holy of Holies, in the Ark of the Covenant. These, this, this is what was in uh, that central location of God's people in the Old Testament, of the tabernacle and the temple. It was the Ten Commandments that they put in there, which just reminds us of how important they are And they're given to us because God loves us. Um, So how much do we look at the Ten Commandments in this way? And I hope this series has helped us look at it more in that way. Uh, The Tenth Commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor. Kevin DeYoung asked us to slow down and read it one more time. Do not covet your neighbor's house. Any of you like HGTV? Um, anyone ever rubbernecked their way through a nice neighborhood in town and wondered you know, what it would be like to have this or that house and kind of been discouraged at your own house? You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Anyone ever struggled with lust? Anyone ever compared their spouse to someone else's spouse? Or even if you don't have a spouse, you know, longing for someone else's spouse. Shall I covet your, uh, his male servant or female servant, his ox or his donkey? Ever compared your car to someone else's or your travel to someone else? You know, they go to this and that place and I can only go to this place. Or why am I stuck in this job and they have that job? And the best part, or anything else, that is your neighbors. I wish I could retire as early as that person did. I wish I was as smart as that person. Life would be so much better if I looked like that person. Why can't I have a normal family? Why do their kids live in town and my live far away? Any of that sound familiar? Deuteronomy 5, uh, the Ten Commandments are repeated. It's worded a little bit differently. Uh, and you shall not cover your neighbor's wife. So the way the the one in Exodus is set up, it starts with house, which is kind of this broad category, and then everything else kind of falls underneath that. It's interesting in Deuteronomy that Moses puts wife first to kind of emphasize that. Um, And then it adds field as well. Um, But everything else is pretty much the same to just kind of fill it out even more. And it's interesting to think about what is implied by this command. It was given to them uh, in the wilderness when they had nothing. Uh, They were wanderers, and so here is just this subtle promise that eventually you are going to live in the land, and you are going to have, you know, these kind of things. And so he's even preparing them uh, for that. All right, so kind of the first question in your handout, first part, what is envy? I'm going to use the word envy because I think it's a word, it's basically synonymous with covet, and in our... um, parlance today, we use the word probably envy a lot more than we probably use the word covet in our day-to-day language. Um, anyone ever seen the movie Amadeus? 1984 came out, Amadeus. Um, it chronicles the relationship between Mozart and who? Salieri, yes. I, thank you for saying that. I didn't quite know how to pronounce it. Salieri, right? So Salieri, it, it talks about how he prayed for... Um, 
You know, the, earlier in his life, he prayed to become this successful um, musician and composer. And, you know, he's starting to build up his skills. And then Mozart bursts on the scene and kind of destroys his dream. And, and he's enraged at Mozart. How could God bestow such gifts on an arrogant buffoon like him? And the opening scene of the movie, he's contemplating suicide. And uh, there's this dialogue with him and this priest. He's kind of doing this confession. And the rest of the film is sort of um, kind of extrapolating on what he talked about in that confession. And there's this part where he starts playing on the piano to this priest and playing some of his own tunes and asking him, do you know who, do you remember that tune or that tune? He's like, no, I don't. And then he perks up and plays another tune and the priest is like, oh, yes, oh, you wrote that? And then he's like, no, that was Mozart. And, um, you know, the rest of the movie is just his, you know, frustration at Mozart. And what it's, you know, the, a classic example of coveting, of envy. Um, so envy, what is it? It's, it's, there's so many ways to put it, but it's a desire for someone else's life or some part of someone else's life. Envy asks, what about me? So it's also helpful to think about what envy is not. It's not the same thing as just having any desire or longing. It's not, long, it's not wrong to groan to God in, in pain or when things are not right and say, I wish that there was some other way that you could do this, God. It's not wrong to, to long for children or for a spouse or financial stability. The book of Proverbs talks about the wisdom of kind of a level of financial stability. <clears throat> a desire for food reminds us to eat. A desire to be useful gets us working. Desire for relationship moves us towards people. Uh, there are many healthy desires, but there are also many unhealthy desires. Uh, the, let's see. I thought I had this on there. I don't. Oh, there it is. So the Westminster, the Tenth Commandment forbids all discontentment with our own estate, envying or grieving at the good of our neighbor and all inordinate motions and affections. Um, motions is just kind of activity. Uh, and affections to anything that is his. We don't have to be taught how to become envious. I mean, you think about the nursery. What, is it, what does it take to get um, a two-year-old to want a toy? Just have someone else take it, right? And they will immediately want to grab it and want it to be theirs. Um, and who taught them that? I mean, it's just something we, we start doing. Uh, Envy is the reason the advertising industry is so successful. It's because we're all really bad at following the 10th commandment. Um, the science of how to push the, the discontentment buttons in our brains is advancing just as steadily as the technology that is being advertised by those marketers. Uh, they're just getting more, better and better at finding ways to just really make us discontent. Um, there are many parallels, as we've seen the last couple weeks especially, there are many parallels to the Ten Commandments in that society. Um, there were commands in other societies of not murdering, of protecting marriage, of telling the truth, of private property, but there, we are yet to find another law in the ancient Near East that enshrines a prohibition against inordinate desires of the heart. So the Tenth Commandment makes explicit what is, what is implicit in all the other commandments, and it shows that obedience is a matter of the heart. Uh, so it's kind of a great bookend to the Ten Commandments, because there's a lot of parallels, as we'll see, to the first commandment, where it's, have no other gods before me. And we'll see there's actually a lot of that going on in the Tenth Commandment. And so it's a neat way to kind of <clears throat> encapsulate it. 
So that's sort of a brief overview of what envy is. What is the harm of envy? What is the danger uh, of envy? Uh, I'll just kind of describe it in two categories. Envy is fatal and envy is fertile. So first of all, it is fatal. Of the seven deadly sins someone has wrote, only envy is no fun at all. Every other has at least its fleeting joys. Gluttony, lust, even sloth has its pleasure. Envy is nothing to be jealous of. It sucks the joy out of our lives. You're unable to enjoy what you have because of comparison. Um, let's see. Here we go. Ephesians 5 verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. It's interesting. I mean, here it's put right up next to sexual sinning. Um, covetousness, just to heighten how important it is. Um, you know, that phrase, it shouldn't even be named among you. So, uh, the harm of envy, it's fatal. Let's break that down even further. Think about the psychological harm of envy. Uh, one thing I would say is that envy enslaves. Anyone want to take a guess at what are ways that envy can enslave us? Any thoughts on that? Yes. Excessive. Ob- mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it can really make us uh, obsessive over getting this or keeping up with the Joneses. It, it can enslave us to human standards where we're always trying to live up to, to human standards instead of God's. Yes? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, envy, uh, another thing is envy distorts. Anyone want to take a guess at what I mean by that? How does envy distort? It allows us not to see the blessings we've been given. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I've heard uh, someone say, don't compare what you know about yourself with what you don't know about someone else. Uh, one example of this is a guy named Steve Benzer. He was a student, uh, college student in the 90s in a mid-sized Christian college in Texas. A successful student with a high GPA, he started leading this large and flourishing college ministry. He was kind of on the fast track to, to some success in ministry. In his sophomore year, there was this student that transferred in who captured the attention and imagination of the students and his name was Matt Chandler. Has anyone ever heard of Matt Chandler? Uh, Matt Chandler is a pastor in Dallas uh, of a really big church. And um, at the time, they became friends right away. They were roommates. They spent lots of time together. Um, and then this, this college ministry combined with other colleges and, and um, started growing more. And this position opened up uh, for a student leader. And this Steve, he desperately wanted it. But who got it? Matt got it, of course. And it grew to 2,000 people, which is a big deal, especially in Abilene, Texas. 
and this and Matt Chandler was starting to get invitations all over West Texas. Steve became known as Matt's roommate, um, and Matt Chandler's rise continued. He eventually took over what was Village Church, which had 150 people, and it now today is 13,000. Um, long story short, they they kept up their friendship, but uh, Steve had some envy of Matt, and he kind of kept it to himself until he eventually told Matt, and this was um, in a blog post he wrote many years back. He kind of shares it. He says, in the midst of my secret jealousy, Matt remained my friend. He encouraged me, prayed for me. He said, that's the, that's the thing. Matt Chandler is the real deal. He's not different from the pastor on the platform. He truly loves the Lord. And so finally, one day when we were talking, I told him, I told him I was jealous of him. I told him I wished I had the life he had. And I'll never forget what he said. Matt told him, that's funny, because there are days when I envy you. He continued talking and said, uh, the, the author says, he continued talking after that, but I don't remember what he said. He was explaining something about the pace of life and ministry, but I was too busy attempting to process his words. In a flood of recognition, the grace of God opened my eyes. I realized I had made ministry success an idol, and I had made my imagined fantasy of celebrity pastoring something that was simply that, fantasy. Matt's days were just like mine. He was leading a church. His church, just like mine, had warts, winds, sheep, and the Spirit. He could wistfully hope for another ministry some days because his days were hard too, just like mine. And just like that, the Lord used my willingness to confess and Matt's gracious words to change my heart. So it's just a a neat example of ways that envy distorts. Um, There's an old French proverb, what makes us discontented with our condition is the absurdly exaggerated idea we have of the happiness of others. We always think they're way happier. And social media is, is definitely one area where this really plays out in our lives. Um, Shauna Nyquist, she said, the danger of the internet is that it's very, very easy to tell partial truths, to show the fabulous meal but not the mess to clean up afterwards, to display the smiling couple shot but not the fight you had three days ago, to offer up the sparkling milestones but not the spiraling meltdowns. So envy distorts and finally, uh, envy robs. What does it rob us of? It robs us of joy. Um, I forget who it was. I think maybe Teddy Roosevelt who said, comparison is the thief of joy. Um, the only real thing that envy is good for is making us less joyful in our current situation. So, it's fatal. It has psychological harm and enslaves, distorts, robs. There's also relational harm. Um, has anyone ever heard of, I think of this um, one of the ways the, the evil one likes to, um, you know, attack the church is to get us fighting with each other. And I think of the movie, or it's originally a book, I think a Tom Clancy book, Some of All Fears. Anyone ever seen Some of All Fears where, you know, basically this mastermind behind the scenes is trying to get America and Russia to fight each other. And he is kind of planting stories and, and rumors and and you know, eventually this bomb goes off and he kind of aligns it and the whole job of the character is to um, get America to realize it was not, it was a different person. And so it kind of reminds me of what the evil one likes to do within the church to get us um, at odds with each other. And James 4 is an example of that. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, coveting, 
so you murder. You covet and cannot attain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And this, here he kind of talks about kind of the, how to heal from envy. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, you adulterous people. Um, and thankfully, the, there's some of the richest examples of grace in the book of James come right after this. Um, but that James just shows that uh, the relational harm that coveting or envy brings, especially to God's people, we're called to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, but often we uh, weep with those who rejoice and rejoice with those who weep in the sense of we, we um, get sad when someone's having, you know, has a success in their life, or we get happy when they, they maybe have a downfall. Um, there's a, a German word for that I learned this week called Schadenfreude. I think that's how you say it. It's a cool word. Uh, we all deal with it. Schadenfreude, I think the, the Freida means joy, and um, Schaden is something about like downfall. So it's pleasure derived from the misfortune of others. This is why gossip sites are, are a billion-dollar industry. Um, I, there's a podcast that's really going viral right now. It's called, uh, I forget exactly, what it, the, the, the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, which was Mark Driscoll's church in Seattle. Um, and there's a lot of good things to learn from it. It teaches a lot of ways that the church can become in, in me, uh, mesmerized with success and um, numbers. Um, so I, I definitely recommend it, but I was listening to someone recently commenting on that podcast, and he said, there, there, you also have to be on guard in your heart as you listen to it, because there can be this sense of, you know, schadenfreude that comes over you, is there's almost this, you know, yeah, I'm glad that that church ended up tanking, because, you know, look what they were doing, or look at this or that, and you can kind of have this arrogance as you listen, like, at least our church isn't that bad. Um, so that, that kind of made me think of that in my own life. Um, the, another place in the New Testament is 1 Corinthians, where Paul is saying, um, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you're not ready. And even now, you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way. Um, and so that was a, 1 Corinthians was a messed up church. And, uh, it was in a culture that strove for success, and so there was this envy building in the church that was really dividing them. Um, and Paul knew that working on the envy problem was, was very important for the, the flourishing of the Corinthian church. You think of Saul and David. Saul killed his thousands. David killed his ten thousands. Um, that's another great case study in the Bible of envy. And so if envy made being a king not enough for Saul... Uh, that's a lot of his story. And if envy made paradise not enough for Adam and Eve, they, who did they envy? They envied God. They wanted to become like God. If envy made being a king not enough, if envy made paradise not enough, if it ruined paradise, don't underestimate what envy is doing in our life. So it's fatal, uh, but it's also fertile. Uh, envy leads to other sins. I mean, you just can just go right, you can kind of start backing up through the Ten Commandments. Uh, envy can cause us to lie. We talked about you shall not um, lie last week. What are, what, 
How might envy influence us to lie? Absolutely. Yeah, and then you go next to the eighth, steal. Envy can lead us to steal, to, to you know, better our lives and better our image. It can lead to adultery. I mean, that's David uh, and Bathsheba. Um, can lead to murder, as James 4 just showed us. Um, it can lead us to, to not honor our father and mother uh, because we're not content with, with the parents we have and, and to start treating them in ways that we shouldn't. Um, it can lead us to break the Sabbath uh, because we need, maybe we need to get ahead and, and we don't rest as much because we're coveting someone else's life and so we work harder. Um, the list goes on. You can go through it and just see how fertile envy is. So that's the harm of envy. I want to you know, go a little bit deeper then and look at the heart of envy. Colossians 3, Paul is kind of giving a list again. He says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. How is covetousness idolatry, Paul? You're putting something before God. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, your satisfaction is in attaining this or that um, and not in the life God has given you. Um, and so envy and covetousness really expose our functional gods. If you think about it, no one envies uh, everyone's everything. If you go back to Saul's life and his envying of David, uh, there's examples of um, the prophet Samuel talking to Saul. Saul didn't envy Samuel. Uh, he, he wasn't, you know, struggling with the life that Samuel had. And I think of my own life, like, I don't envy Coach Krzyzewski. You know, he's a very successful coach uh, here at Duke. But, you know, even though he's got this great, seemingly great life and he's about to retire, like, has all this success, I, I don't envy that. That's not something. And so that helps us to just see that there are particular things in our life that we envy. So Saul envied David. Why did Saul envy David? It's because David threatened what Saul really loved, right? Um, at one point he says, what can, more can he have but the kingdom? Um, David's success threatened what made Saul you know, feel large in his own eyes. And that's the same reason any time we struggle with envy. One person has said, envy is the greatest Rorschach test of them all. Does anyone know what a Rorschach test is? It's this thing where there's like this ink on a piece of paper, and psychologists use it to um, kind of analyze your personality as you're looking at it. Um, but if, but it's, it's a way that if, if, if you tell me what you envy, um, you will, it'll show what we're really living for. Um, it will show what our God is. Envy is a great idol detector. Think of like a metal detector. Envy is a great way to show what someone is living for. And so that's where, kind of as I said at the beginning, um, this really is a great bookend commandment. 
there's a lot of overtones of the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. It kind of wraps the whole commandments up well. Um, Kevin DeYoung, in his chapter, kind of talks about what, um, what coveting can look like. He just gives some suggestions. He gives four things. You might be coveting if you've hurt others in order to get more for yourself. Thinking of, you know, that, of being overambitious, of being cutthroat, of, of just always driving, 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 and how that can often hurt others. You might be coveting if you're preoccupied with making and accumulating more. Um, and one pastor put this well. He says, the more people have, the more discontent they are. That kind of puts the American dream on its head. Uh, you might be coveting if you are unwilling to give up what you already have. Uh, you see how this can affect even your own generosity that we're called to. You think of the rich young ruler um, who Jesus said, one thing you lack, go and sell all you have and give it to the poor. And just how that affected him. <clears throat> uh, and finally, you might be coveting if you're frequently grumbling about your house, spouse, quality or quantity of your possessions, and general state of your life. And that's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, I love 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, Godliness with contentment is great gain. You see what Paul did there? Uh, it talks about contentment is great gain. And that word gain is what we're really longing for when we're, not, when we're coveting, we're looking to gain more. And he says contentment is great gain. Um, just the joy that comes and satisfaction and peace. All right, so... You know, all this, the, the, the harm in the heart, how are we going to heal of envy? Thankfully, Paul, the language, I love the language he has in Philippians 4, where he says, I learned, this is something I had to learn, uh, how to be content. So, so much we could say, I think I'd summarize it, uh, kind of two suggestions in the place of, you know, envy or discontent is to replace the narrative and remember the gospel. Replace the narrative and remember the gospel. So first of all, replace the narrative. Um, there's several things that I mean there. One is, think about how often we have unrealistic expectations in our life. Um, expectations drive a lot of how we think and what we do. They're often very influenced by our past and the upbringing we had. And so... Um, really being able to check our expectations of what life we really feel like we deserve and, and whether we should. Um, another thing in terms of replacing the narrative is to play, the, this is a phrase I learned recently, play the tape forward. That's this idea of, you know, see where, where this envy is going to lead you. Where is it going to take you? And see, you know, see how unloving envy would be to someone else. You think of agape love. Agape love is essentially putting our happiness into someone else's happiness. We can't be happy unless they are um, flourishing. It's that idea of rejoicing when they rejoice and weeping when they weep. Um, and just remembering they probably don't have it as good as we think, as we already kind of mentioned. And I think a really helpful phrase to keep in mind is, that's not my story. That's not my story. 
How could God, Dan talked about this in the sermon, how could God who did not spare his own son not graciously give us all things? Um, If we're lacking something in our life, it can't mean it's because God doesn't love you, as Romans 8 puts so well. One person has kind of explained that, that verse. If someone risked their life to save you from drowning and you were to ask them the next day, do you really care about me? That person would be insulted, and rightly so, if you ask that. And that kind of help, sort of starts getting at what Romans 8 um, is talking about there. How, did God, how could God who did not spare his own son not graciously give you all things? Um, you think of the story of Peter and John. Um, <laughs> At the end, after the resurrection, they're walking. It's like John 20 or 21. It's one of my favorite stories where Peter is, you know, Jesus has kind of hinted to Peter what his life is going to be like after Jesus leaves and that there's going to be difficulty. Um, And John is standing right there. And Peter looks at John and says, what about him? Um, And I love how Jesus responds. What is that to you, Peter? You ought to follow me. And so there's, there's this sense of trust that is really important element um, in our healing of envy is, is having trust uh, that God has our best in mind. Um, but also, you think of you know, replacing the narrative, some of the ways we do that well is just through gratitude, uh, through giving thanks. You think of the Psalms are full of commandments to give thanks to the Lord. And you think of all, you know, there's, there's lots of lament, it's the, the most common genre in the Psalms, but there's also lots of joy. And a lot of that joy um, is influenced by the giving thanks that they do. So that's sort of replaced the narrative. I looked up recently, um, just, I just wanted to see kind of what the general wisdom out there is. On, okay, how do, we, how do we move past envy? Because I know it's something that is common to humanity that we all deal with. We don't like it. We all realize it harms us. So I found this um, on this website called Tiny Buddha. So it's someone kind of more in the Eastern tradition, and they were talking about envy and how to move forward in envy. And it's interesting to see all the overlap, right? Look beyond the surface. Take time to unplug. They're mainly talking about social media there, and, and they're seeing the harm that social media, how it can be this envy-producing machine. Uh, look within, look at, analyze why you're envious. Know your feelings don't make you a bad person. That's what I had said at the beginning. It's not wrong to have desire, it's just unhealthy desire. And then know you are valuable. Um, and so that, I, I bring that up to just say this, there, some of the things that I've said so far on how to heal envy are actually very common to humanity. So there has to be more. There has to be more until we are... Um, able to recognize that we are incapable in ourselves of contentment, we won't be able to start getting contentment. And so that's why we need to also remember the gospel. And there's two things I wanted to say into this. Uh, First is that the cross is sort of the the anti-envy. Think about the unenviousness of Jesus. Uh, Jonathan Edwards said, If you take the spirit of the gospel into your heart, you will see Jesus did not begrudge his own precious blood. This is the idea. He didn't keep it to himself. He did not begrudge us sitting on his throne with him in heaven, though we deserve to be infinitely below him. In other words, Christ loves us, therefore he loves seeing us get what we don't deserve. 
We look at other people, they don't deserve this or that, and it bothers us. But Christ put his happiness into our happiness. He is the anti-envy. He gives us the glory that he deserved. There's a passage, I forget the exact, but it's in John, where Jesus is praying, Father, the glory you have given me, I give to them. So if we want to deal with the seeds of envy in our heart, we need to listen what Jesus is saying of us. He's asking the Father, I don't want to be the only Son of God in the universe. I love them and I want their joy. But the only way they can get what what they don't deserve is if I take what they deserve. I need to take the punishment of their sins, including their coveting. So if we see him doing that, and we see that because he did that, When we believe in him, we receive and experience the greatest blessings that are able to be experienced this side of glory, the spiritual blessing of being adopted as his beloved children despite our sin. How can we be envious of anyone else since in him our greatest needs are met? So just thinking about the implications the cross has on our own coveting and how um, utterly unenvious Jesus was in going to the cross on our behalf for our coveting and many things. But also the presence of Christ. Uh, This is, of course, from Philippians 4. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation to be content. I know how to be brought low. And I love this. And I know how to abound. Um, And in any any other circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hungry, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Of course, one of the most well-known Bible passages, but I love the context of Philippians 4.13, that it's in the context of trying to be content. You know, we often apply it to, you know, jumping a little higher, running a little faster, or, you know, getting this task done that day, and and I think there's ways that we can use that verse for that, and and Christ is with us in all things, but the, the primary context of that verse is the context of trying to be content. Just helps us see just how hard contentment is. Paul is saying, I have learned how not to envy. So we have options then. When we're faced with a a situation where we're envious and coveting, we can try to overcome it on our own strength. That's kind of that tiny Buddha website, how they're um, encouraging you towards that. We can sort of do the opposite. We can just let go and let God and let him take it. We can have this posture of kind of partial dependence in our life where we pray for God's help in the morning, but then we go the rest of our day Um, as if it depends on us. John Owen said, we do not have the ability in ourselves to accomplish the least of God's tasks. This is a law of grace. When we recognize it is impossible for us to perform a duty in our own strength, we will discover the secret of its accomplishment. But alas, this is a secret we often fail to discover. And so the fourth option is to abide, to have complete dependence in all our life. Lord, I cannot be content without your help. So, that's the 10th commandment. That's all I had. Any comments or questions or thoughts? Yes.
working everything for our growth in him because that's actually the best thing for us. Yeah. And if, if that position would have made me love him more and would have glorified him more, then I would have had him. But I don't because it's just me and him. Yeah. Um, that's that's great. Yeah, that's a great example of replacing the narrative, of, of really living into um, and trusting the life God has for us and that he, he has what's best. Yeah, that's great. Any other thoughts? Let me close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, man, we need you every hour, Lord, as we, are, as we go through this, all these different elements of envy and coveting, uh, I know that we are struck with how uh, much it is in each of our hearts and how uh, it exposes what we worship and what we love. Uh, and, and too often, Lord, um, uh, our hearts are not fixed and focused on you with you as our first love. So would you forgive us, Lord, for all the ways that we covet um, our neighbor's house and wife and servants and ox and donkey and, and anything that is our neighbor's, Lord. And would you heal us? Would you continue to heal us, Lord, uh, from our coveting? Uh, we need this, Lord, as it will help our, us as a church um, grow in our unity and, uh, and in our families, but it will also help our own hearts as well and will give us more joy um, and worship. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys.